Hello, everybody. Happy to have you join me for yet another episode of Steve Clark's Broadcast Booth. Today, a great show. Goaltender coach Ryan Muntz, who had a long pro career in the ECHL and AHL after being drafted third round by the Los Angeles Kings and after playing in the Ontario Hockey League for three years, will talk about his experience not only in the OHL, the pros, and what it's like to mentor young goaltenders. You won't want to miss any of this story. If you've read anything about Ryan months before or know him, he does not pull any punches. He's a fantastic guest and a better person. Also, Clark's commentary, future episodes of the broadcast booth, and a lot more next. All right, uh, Ryan Muntz is my guest. He will be coming up momentarily uh, to talk about uh, his journey through minor midget, the Ontario Hockey League, the professional ranks, and what he's doing right now, which is being a mentor and a goaltender coach to young goalies, including Team Canada World Junior goaltender Nico Dawes, who uh, played for the team last year. But let's get right into Clark's commentary. Let's have a little fun with Clark's commentary today. Uh, every single league, it seems, has a return to play uh, protocol in place, and they're going to be in a bubble. The Western Hockey League is in a bubble. BC, Saskatchewan, Alberta have all approved bubbles. QMJHL, who have kind of been playing all along, have approved bubbles. You know, the ECHL is going, the American Hockey League is going, the NHL is going. It leaves just one league that's still waiting, the Ontario Hockey League. Hopefully that approval will come soon. I'm not going to rant about any sort of delay or anything political, but I'm going to choose the four locations that should be OHL bubble should they return to play with the rumor that it's going to be a 20 to 24 game season. There are going to be bubbles. What are the best cities to host a bubble? Here are my four choices. Niagara, Kingston, London, Sudbury, or no, sorry, Sault Ste. Marie. I've considered geography. I have considered case management, and I have considered amenities around the arena, even though I'm not overly familiar with what's around Sault Ste. Marie. Now, Sault Ste. Marie, let me deal with them first. First of all, and this is the case with a lot of arenas, I'm wondering if the fact that they're going to be a vaccine hub will affect their ability to host any games. And I fully encourage any city-owned arena to be a vaccine hub. But if they're able to, I would choose them. It's north, it's remote, you have four or five north teams you could put up there. They're one of the teams that are bidding for the Memorial Cup that's going to go to Ontario this year. If they play it, I think it would be a great location. London, nice central isolated location. Lots of hotels around the downtown core that you can be by the arena and travel to the arena. And plus, it's London. It's the center of the OHL. Just ask them. No, I'm just kidding. They're a great franchise. They've hosted a lot of things. I think they would be a good bubble. Kingston is another choice. They have a very, very low uh, case load as it stands right now. 
Ottawa, Peterborough, Oshawa, and the likes can all gather there and play. I've heard the ice is out of the K-Rock Centre. That might be a problem. Maybe they have to bring that back in. Sorry, Leon's Furniture Centre. They changed the name. But I think with their case numbers, it would be perfect. The other one that I chose was Niagara. Now, I'm not doing this just because I broadcast out of Niagara. They successfully hosted the CEBL at the Meridian Centre last summer. They could probably put a lot of the same protocol in place for that. Again, geographically, Hamilton, Guelph, Kitchener, even Erie can pop over um, as well from the United States, assuming that they get clearance. So lots of hotels in the Niagara region. I think it would work. The only problem is, is that the health officer, um, the doctor there is very, very stingy and is very, very stringent when it comes to, you know, what color he wants the Niagara region to be in, in terms of what's open and not open. But for lack of of any other choices, Niagara, Kingston, London, and Sault Ste. Marie would be my choices to be bubble cities for an Ontario Hockey League return to play. Let's get to our guest. Ryan Muntz will be with me after this. And I love that theme. Alan Parsons Project, Chicago Bulls. Didn't like the Chicago Bulls, love the theme. Happy to be joined now by Ryan Muntz, who is a, a goaltender coach and has been since he ended his career back in 2011. Um, Ryan played a long time with the Ontario Hockey League, ECHL, AHL, was drafted by the National Hockey League. Uh, Ryan, first of all, thanks for doing this. First question for you, Ryan, because in these pandemic times, you're also a small business owner. Um, what's it been like finally at least getting back to work and being able to train again? Well, thanks for having me. I, uh, I It's been a weird process, uh, a weird transition for uh, my family and for everything going on. Um, um, we've been one of the ones that have been uh, the sacrificial lamb. Um, and uh, I feel more... Um, at peace now that we're back going again and the kids have something to do because uh, most of it was just like to get the kids out and having some goal to kind of strive towards because I know that's been heavy on a lot of them um, but you know as for the people that are still in like Toronto <laughs> and Peel that are going to be locked down for God knows how long it's I feel really sorry for all the people trying to go through that and feel blessed at the same time that we're in a, a good area out here in Halton. Um, with no games really being played right now, it's all practice and, and training. Do you find that that's tougher on goalies than it is on players uh, having no games? Because, I mean, I know I've heard, I think you might you may have even said it, you, you might have been the one who said it to me, that goalies thrive kind of on that game competition. So is it tougher on goalies right now? Uh, 100%. It's, it's been, goalies are unfortunately just target practice in practice where they are neglected heavily by the uh, coaching staff, by um, the players, um, and a lot of extra areas come through like 
mentally to a goaltender, like a lack of respect um, for a goaltender. As you know, every kid's coming in and trying to go high and hard and trying to go bar down with every single shot. And it's just, there's no uh, coaches grabbing the kids and saying, no, hey, uh, there's no goalie central theme for practices. It's just a matter of getting their players ready. And nobody really knows how to do uh, um, like a goalie practice to help out the goaltenders. And that's where goalies can, can have fun thrive a bit more when things are a little bit more centralized towards them but when they just go in there in their target practice and they have nobody to defend there's a mental aspect of that goaltenders are personality wise uh, defenders of of the team and are there to help the team when they need them and they're being shown by a year of practice that eh, nobody really cares about you and nobody really needs you and I'm seeing a lot of um, fatigue from not playing games. Yeah, and I would tend to agree with that. Full disclosure, um, you know, my daughter is a goalie, nine-year-old rep, and and you are her goalie coach, and uh, certainly we have seen some of that. What advice would you give to a, a goaltender, you know, who is being used as that target practice and, and forgotten in practice? I mean, do you pull the old Ed Belfour and, and, and walk out of the, you know, skate out of the net and when the shots are getting too high, or how would you have a goalie handle that situation? Um, the best way is to uh, get in with a goalie coach and enjoy working on the little parts of your game um, that are game central. Um, I've heard from a lot of people during this that uh, they really look forward to coming to uh, the lessons with me uh, way more than they've had going to a practice. So I think that there's been a central theme there with um, them not being neglected because you know obviously during the half hour the hour that they're out with their goalie coaches it, it's the attention is solely on them it's solely on their betterment it's solely on on um, trying to make them the best they can be and, and without games in in or on a real team the goalies don't feel that so that would be one area that you can really help yourself um, to avoid that sort of fatigue another area would be um, if you have that relationship to try to, you know, ask the coaches to, um, you know, build into their practices parts that, that are a bit more game situation-esque and not just, um, like come down the wing in a flow drill and headshot every single time. Um, so, you know, mix in defense into it, mix in a three on two, mix in the two on ones, mix in, um, out of the uh, two-on-ones from out of the corner, you know, or something like that. Mix in something that that the defenseman's helping you out, so it's not just a headshot. They're trying to get it, you know, around the defenseman and in the net, so it works out to more um, situations that a goaltender can um, use their pattern-finding techniques and read that play that's a, that's forming in front of them. How much work do you do kind of building on that? I mean, you're talking about the physical aspects of the goaltender and, and angles and recognition and things like that, but how much do you think uh, even your job as a goalie coach uh, is split between the physical part of the game and the emotional and mental part of the game? Are you a student of that? Um, absolutely a student. Um, I think that when you, when you have 
solid technique and structure um, to your game and have a knowledge of it. That, that knowledge of it is your power to control your motion, control your psyche. Um, there are facets of the game of doubt and things like that that can be worked on um, from from teaching, reading, um, um, experience. And that could really be helpful. Uh, but when a goalie knows what to do in a certain situation and they get it wrong, it's it's not the worst thing in the world for their confidence. So it won't really shatter the confidence because they're like, well, you know, I did the right thing, but I didn't catch the puck. Or I did the right thing, but I didn't, you know, um, slide over far enough or I didn't take an angle on that slide. You know, and they're able to kind of critique it and break it down so quickly that they'll know what to do on the next shot. So it it won't kind of keep them in, um, in that area where you know you let in two goals and you have no idea why they went in how they went in what's going on around you um one of my favorite quotes was a, a golfer and god uh, oh, i can't remember the guy's name i thought it was yes for part of it but i'm not entirely <laughs> sure um and he said uh i'd, I'd rather shoot um a, like a five over and know what i was doing than shoot three under and have no idea Oh, that's a great quote, actually. And it really speaks to the philosophy um, of goaltending. When did you, um, have you always like had a goaltending coach? You're, I mean, your career kind of, I'm, I'm going to kind of start it, you know, maybe when you were playing minor midget. Did you have a goalie coach back then or when you started with the OHL? And when did that phenomenon kind of come in yeah, for you? Um, I had a goalie coach pretty much my whole life. Um, um, they flipped though when I when I got older, um, so I I stopped on this sort of upward trajectory of of um, getting better and performing. Uh, I was kind of a little stale, and you know I thought it was me. And I thought there's something wrong with me, and I needed to. But it goes back to that lack of understanding and lack of um, knowledge on the position. So. Luckily, in my minor midget year, um, I was actually cut from every single GTHL team. So I went to the last tryout for the last place team that nobody really wanted to play for. And, you know, I wanted to stay in AAA because of my minor midget year. So I went to it, made the team, and there was a guy on the team. Uh, his, his dad is, um, uh, or his uh, son is Rafi Torres. Mm. So R Rafi Torres' dad had another son on that team with me. And so he was already through the hockey community. He knew some people and he was like, hey, where does your son go? And my dad's, you know, very um, friendly with everybody. So he was all friendly with this guy. And then he and he said, oh, he goes here. And he's like, ah, oh, he, you know, that guy's no good. You got to go to uh, you got to go to this guy. And um, so he ended up sending me to this guy named Sudzi and got me in a hold of this guy named Sudzi. And I started going um, to Sudsy for, you know, just like, I don't know, a week. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, the way that I played, he didn't quite understand it. So he, I know he didn't want me back, but then he had a cancellation like a week <laughs> later. So he brought me back in because <laughs> uh, I kind of played that really calm, 
game, and he thought it was lack of care or lack yeah. of try. So the best thing that happened was when the, there was a cancellation, I was able to go back to him, and uh, and he saw that it was, and I, I actually played poorly. So he saw me get very angry while <laughs> I was <laughs> on the ice trying to do this. So he's like, "Oh, it's not lack of try. He, he just he's just a very calm, collected kid." And so um, from then on, uh, I wasn't really being looked at. But he taught me a few things that really took off within uh, that couple of weeks. Uh, and I went into a game, and um, I think we won 2-1, and the only goal was a kick-in. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other player on my team scored both goals. And so there was a scout in the stands that game, and it was just after March break. And uh, this scout came up to us and said, hey, you know, really like both of you guys, we're going to draft you both. And I was like, oh. And so it was like just that right place, right time right after I got like the proper lesson on how to control the game through <laughs> rebound control, things like that, that I had no idea about. And so um, we went into the draft. That guy was drafted, I think, fifth or seventh round, and I was drafted 10th uh, to Sarnia. And within, so after almost getting cut from everybody um, in my minor midget year, two years later, I was a third round pick to the LA King. <laughs> so Goalie coaches make a difference in, in, in I, and I kind of take some of those similar teachings. And now you can see there's many articles on Sudsy. He's the goalie coach for the Anaheim Ducks. Mm -hmm. So he's, you know, been around. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. So it was really helpful for me to kind of understand and why when I quit the game, why I wanted to get into teaching the game because I never wanted a kid that had the potential to make the NHL miss out due to a lack of knowledge and a lack of goalie coach. I mean, you, helping them. you never want to give up on any player, but I think goalies are more unique in that you never want to give up on a goalie because quite simply, they, they develop at different times. I mean, you are exhibit A for that. Uh, you know, a guy who was getting cut and then all of a sudden something clicks and, and boom, you're, you're off to the races. So your draft attempt round by Sarnia, I was looking at that draft, you know, and what a draft it was. One, Patrick O'Sullivan, two, Nathan Horton, three, Jeff Carter, four, Mike Richards, five, Corey Perry. They did okay for themselves. And then you're drafted in the 10th round, which I don't know uh, about you. I don't take too much stock again in where kind of goalies are drafted because, you know, they are kind of... Uh, unique in their development and you you go to sarnia and and on the ice you really light it up and have an outstanding year uh, what clicked for you that first year on the ice in sarnia my strength at the time around anybody's drafted in um but the transition for me really helped out when uh, my foot speed and the coaching that I had taken into the season really allowed me to keep up with the play. So as the as the the shots got harder and the plays unfolded quicker, um, my feet were able to my feet and balance were able to keep me with the play as my body got used to reacting to the shots. Um, that was ultimately my transition into the O, and it worked out very well and um, and I was very pleased with how that first year went and you know leading through the OHL career I guess um, 
if I had a regret, I'd, I'd probably opt out of my first year of the draft um, because not enough scouts saw me in that first year, mm-hmm. and it was such a deep draft. The 03 NHL draft was just so deep that it would have been better to go in the year after where there was goalies that went in the first round that were, you know, they were okay. And yeah. um, there's, there's that line that uh, first-rounders have to prove that they can't play in the NHL and, uh, and everybody else has to prove that they can so it's <laughs> it's one of those things that if you're if you know if I go into the next year and I perform again like I did and you know I might not have had all the same accolades as I had the year before but there uh, they would have been able to see another year of me uh, performing and you know who knows what would have happened to my draft stock the year after um, but yeah it was it was something that I was really happy with the transition that went through to the OHL just because of how prepared I was through the goalie coaching, through, um, um, through that sort of, as you were saying, things just kind of starting to click for me and in that understanding. I mean, you had a great uh, season, your draft year. I mean, you were a workhorse, and, and then your final year in junior, uh, the team kind of went south, but your numbers were still pretty good. Do you feel you had a better year that third year than that second year when you put all the statistics aside? That's a really good question. No one really asks that question. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I was 12 wins, 32 losses, and 10 ties in my third year. But I had a 909 save percentage um, and a 3.15 like, or something goals against average. And... If you look at the last place teams, <laughs> the teams that finished dead last in the leagues um, over the past years, I don't know one goaltender in the OHL that would have had over a 900 save percentage. And that's not to brag on me. I was just to yeah. say that, like, yeah, I, I played for a really, really bad team. They traded everybody away. And they were actually wanting to trade me, but the GM was, was he came from Guelph, after being off for a couple of years and the GM and the coach there were just just awful to me they're just mm-hmm. terrible people to me and I had an awful year like dealing with them still trying to compete and there were so many things they did that were just so abusive and so stupid that when they decided that uh, the trade deadline came and went and they realized that they couldn't trade me because the idiot forgot that he that he only had 31 cards instead of 33 cards. So if he traded me away, he couldn't sign another goalie. <laughs> so I was his like blue chip trade thing that he could have used, but he waited too long and ran out of it. So instead, he comes into the room after the trade deadline, says everybody needs everybody who's here, we want here, um, and says, and I'm going to tell you right now, if we don't make playoffs, it's going to be all Ryan Muntz's fault. So none of you worry about it. And that was my GM, that GM. The same GM that wouldn't let me go to play for World Junior Team Canada uh, unless I was a starter um, because he wanted to keep me back. It, it, like this guy was just absolutely like awful towards the uh, um, towards my end of OHL development, and the coach too was just was in that same boat. And it was just a really 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 rough year that you know I, I don't. I don't respect those two. I yeah. never will. And there's nothing that you can say or what they do now that would make me like them, because what they do to uh, a 19-year-old uh, 
kid that goes out there and tries every night to try and win a game when your team can only score one goal a game, you know, and I'm getting 70 shots against the London Knights and losing 6-1 with the, the mm-hmm. loaded team they have. And you're looking at them like, well, what? I can't do anything more, but yet you're putting this all on me. It was a very, really terrible last year for me to kind of go through. But with all said and done, you know, having a 909 save percentage with all that turmoil going on behind the scenes, you know, with them doing the things they did was was such um, um, was such looking back a success for me now instead of like a failure. I mean, I'm I'm flabbergasted and I'm having trouble following up with a question when you tell me those things to specifically target one person. Um, in the dressing room like they did, were you the only person that they were kind of treating this way or were there other players that they were they treating treated, this way? They treated um, basically uh, like they treated Carcillo, they treated a lot of guys, they, they treated them all the same way. But those guys all got traded early on in the season. Mm-hmm. So those guys all like demanded trades and said we want out, you know, good agents on them. And so they all like took off. Um, uh, Fritchie, all of them were like, I'm out. So everybody was like, I'm leaving, get me out of here. So anybody that was there, they basically traded away. Um, and, you know, thank God for them, because as soon as they left, they're like, dude, it was like, a, it's like, it, the grass was definitely greener on the other side, man. And I'm like, man, I, I can't believe I was stuck there. And it was really tough to, to go through it because the rookies, even though some of the rookies were just treated terrible, I'll, I'll remember uh, one story where there was a guy named uh, Cody Musselman, and it was Kyle Musselman who was a, I think he was a fighter in uh, in the O, and this was his younger brother, but his younger brother was like, he, he was a skilled player. Like, I, I remember watching him, he was big, he was, he was, he was uh, strong, uh, and he had some good skills, some good hands, like things like that. And I remember him, in this one game, and he went like toe drag, dangled this as a as a sixteen year old, so he's an underager. This this defenseman, and then went like top corner and hit like the the, the crossbar. And um, and as he hit the crossbar, like it was just like a nice smooth move that like really looked like a like a like a vet. I was like, wow, good for him, you know, getting a little confidence. Two uh, like a game later, does the same thing. Uh, turns it turns it over, so doesn't get by the defenseman, but he gave a good try at it. He gets to the bench. The coach goes down, grabs him, starts yelling at him, says, "You're a fighter in this league. I never want to see you do that again." And I looked, and I was like, "What the heck is this guy doing?" I'm like, "This is a 16-year-old player. How could you already, you know, he just did this with success like a game a game ago. How can you now just tear like just destroy this kid's life, you know?" Which in the end, this kid never became anything, and you could easily go back and be like, "That was the that was the moment." My buddy, um, uh, a Chance Fitzpatrick, said the same thing. You know, he was up there as rookies, as putting up lots of points, and the very next year, they're like, "You're a fighter. Stop doing this. If you if you don't fight, then you're cut from the team." Like it's it's this weird notion that they put these kids there to somehow fight and not kind of develop into what they wanted to be or what they should have been. And I know that the league's changing now, but it's yeah. still this disgusting um, thing that, that, that would go on behind the scenes. So there were people that that did uh, have issues, let's say, 
but mm-hmm. it definitely felt like I was uh, centered out as some sort of scapegoat for the rest of the team. Like everything that they were doing was fantastic, and and because I was the old, uh, the old regime's guy, um, that they can blame everything on me, and who gives a crap? And this is your third year in the league, and um, you know you've been very vocal about what happened in the first year of your league. You've stood shoulder to shoulder um, with Daniel Carcillo, who came out with uh, a number of shocking allegations. And to Daniel's credit, you know he said he was part of the problem but he also wants to solve the problem. Um, what made you choose to also be uh, a voice and, and kind of support you know, Dan Carcillo, who is your former teammate? Well, Dan and I were, um, were friends uh, kind of before this. Like I say kind of because like uh, I went and backed up as a minor midget, I went, or, or sorry, I'm sorry, I was in midget. So mm-hmm. I was in midget, and I went and backed up uh, a Milton game with Dan there. Um, so we went, and, uh, and you know, as I backed up the game, kind of sat in the stands, like, we, we kind of knew each other from there, from, you know, our, our days. Uh, we even went all the way back to um, double A. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he told me a story where, he, um, I, I, I'll never forget it. I think he was on the uh, the Huskies, or no, sorry, the Sharks, or yeah, something like that. Don. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, I can't remember exactly which team he was on, but it was this bully of a team, and it was. Uh, I remember I was playing, and I must have been in Adam, maybe minor peewee, and uh, and I remember there was a puck that went up in the air, and I was playing on the Mississauga Braves, and I watched the puck, and all of a sudden I felt like this 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 cold bar that hit me in the neck and I just dropped and there's all this shooting pain up my neck and around my side so I got cross-checked in the neck by some kid on that team and they were I knew they were a dirty team turns out it was actually him and the coach sent him out there to do it oh jeez yeah the coach sent out you know whatever 11 year old Daniel Carcillo to go out and basically take the goalie out so he went in and just cross-checked me in the neck and dropped me like it <laughs> I was like and he was laughing he was like that was me and I'm like oh my god I can't believe that was you right <laughs> and of course so we kind of had a good bond we kind of saw each other and during that first year I was basically I was one of the only ones that, that I that I know of I mean he, he could speak for himself but I, I know for a fact I was one of the only ones that he, he and he was a him and I were able to talk to so I saw like the tears behind the scenes I saw his emotional distress behind the scenes on like, everything that's going on you know witnessing all this stuff and so I, I you know from a person that was bullied a lot my whole life and for him that wasn't bullied until this moment it, it must have been a really big shock for him to, to for people that he was supposed to trust and people that were supposed to trust in him um, and for them to just do this stuff to him was was devastating, and you can see that it took a, it it turned him, and he thought that that was the way that it was supposed to be, and it manipulated his um, his life choices for years. Um, and until I guess he came out, and he was like, you know what, this isn't the way. You know, he got a family, he got a kid. He probably thought, uh, like, I don't want my kid to go through this. And and that's kind of how it started with him. And so, of course, I was going to back him up as being a witness to it and also a victim of it all. Uh, I wanted to um, support him and be like, yeah, of course, all this stuff happened. I'm not going to leave you there hanging. And and I, I went and just made sure that he had the support that he had from me back then that he can have from me now. 
People were shocked when the class action lawsuit uh, was filed at the details. Um, were you surprised that people were, were shocked at, at this part of hockey culture? Because, I mean, in a sense, in some movies, it's been kind of glamorized a little bit, the idea of hazing or initiation. It's, it's certainly been dealt with, but yet people were still stunned and shocked at, at the allegations. How did that kind of sit with you? Yeah, uh, I don't think people should be shocked. It was something that has come out in the hockey world and everybody knew about hazing. Everybody knew that these things were going on. Everybody understood that these things were happening, but nobody really wanted to talk about it um, until they heard the horror stories like firsthand from uh, a platform like Carcillo's that it was like, oh, okay, so we knew that these things happened. We knew that these things were going on. However, we never really heard it from a mass scale myself on a, on a wide way, uh, sorry, on a big scale myself. And now that that's there, people are able to kind of read like, oh, this stuff happened to him. Well, maybe there needs to be some sort of change. And I, I don't think people in the hockey world are shocked. Uh, the young parents, you know, most of the hockey world, I would say, would be a little bit. Um, because, you know, if you have a nine-year-old daughter, you probably don't know that this goes on at the OHL level. Mm -hmm. But if your kid's in minor midget AAA and about to get drafted to the OHL, you start to hear the stories then. And so not every parent gets to that level, uh, and not every parent has to worry about that. I know parents that were worried about their kid going to the O because they said he wouldn't be able to handle um, the stuff that goes on in the room. And I was like, oh, you know, I never even thought about that from a second, from another standpoint. But yeah, like this kid lost his mom his, uh, to cancer. His dad has cancer and he was going to, uh, uh, and he was a really great goaltender. And if he got drafted to the OHL and ended up going to the OHL and stuff like that, like the hazing and all that stuff, like it, would, it could have ruined him the rest mm -hmm. of his life. And so this thing had to change. This thing needed to, to change. And it has to go back to, you know, respect to the vets, um, clean up the pucks, pack the bags or whatever uh, you have to do on those teams. But it doesn't have to be abusive. It doesn't have to be um, 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 forceful yeah. in nature. If somebody is, like, just like anything in hockey, if there's a... Uh, a kid acting up and being a, 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 a douche or something like that, you, you know, you'll, you'll probably fight him in your practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, and a vet that's 20 years old fighting a 16 year old kid should be enough to, to warrant. Yeah. Yeah. The, that'll solve it. <laughs> that's right. That, you know, like, you know, stop being like that. And that, that should be enough to solve everything. Right. And, uh, so they don't need to, uh, use, uh, the, anything more than that from the room to being forced to drink to stuff like that and, and that's what I really want to go on I don't want people to be forced to drink because I didn't drink yeah and I don't want you know people that oh we're not allowed drinking so they do a water uh, drinking game and I and I have heard a horror story now I don't know if this is a myth but I had heard a horror story that uh, that a kid internally drowned um, by chugging too much water during the rookie party and this is many years before I even went to the O, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not 
impossible for me to, to conceive that in my mind that that might have happened with the way that they force people to do stuff. The quote uh, that you gave The Athletic, I think, is the one that resonates the most with me. You said, I loved the game, I hated the room. And really, you know, loving the game is one thing, but those are supposed to be your guys, like the guys you go to battle with, the, the camaraderie. And to say that you hated the room is really an indictment of how bad things got, you know, when you were in Sarnia. Do, do you think, I mean, you had good teams in Sarnia those first couple of years, but you went out awfully quickly in the playoffs. Do, do you think part of it was that, you know, some of these younger guys just weren't willing to fight for the older guys kind of in the playoffs because of what happened? I mean, I, I hate to put like a hockey thing on it, yeah. but yeah. Um, well, Carcillo said that actually. He said that, you know, he, him and a lot of other guys just gave up in the, I guess they got together behind my back and gave up. I didn't know <laughs> meaning of giving up. So yeah. I was the goalie. I, I, I wasn't, <laughs> Yeah. there's no giving up. Like you got to show up. Whether your head or heart is in it or not, you show up and you do your job. You know, so I, I, I never gave up on anybody or any team. But yeah, I, uh, that, that was really true about, you know, my whole career though. Like me hating the room and stuff like just, it was just awful. Like I hated this, 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 the way that things were and how you had to be in the room and how people treated you and you know yeah it could stem from sarnia and stuff but it started before then too like i wanted to show up i wanted to be a goalie i wanted to i was a bit more of an introvert and you know and these guys would try to pull you out of that introvertedness mm -hmm. and treat you like you know like 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 oh shoot this guy is just uh different so let's you know treat him weird and the coaching staff was always um every coaching staff uh that i had from the moment i turned to the ohl as you can imagine was just absolutely like horrendous like just the worst um uh, believe it or not it actually got worse when it went from perry to jeff walters <laughs> you know um and i think walters with uh Oshawa now. Greg, Greg, and, Walt, Greg Walters. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I said, I say Greg Walters? You said Jeff. You said Jeff. Oh. It's okay. Oh, I, I thought I said, okay. So yeah, when it went from Jeff to Greg yeah. Walters, um, it, it got, it got way, uh, it got way worse. You know, the, the, the fact of him like grabbing me and shoving me against a wall after we won two, one on 40 something shots because he thought I did a play that I didn't actually do. You know, like it was like uh, I got physically abused by a guy who shouldn't have touched me or worried or done any of these things. A guy who lost his mind, who centered me out on the team to make mm -hmm. it seem like it was my fault on times. It was he was just uh, just bad influence. He's trying to fight the fans in playoffs. So we're in <laughs> Erie. We're in Erie for playoffs. Game three. Um, I think I don't I think the series is one one and he's trying to fight the fans and and during warm-ups and our and we have half our team from colt king to heck we're all following him trying to fight the fans and then you know next thing you know someone does some somebody cross checks somebody in the in the warm-up gets ejected the next thing you know uh somebody hacks their best player from behind like like from behind i think they hacked rob heisey from like behind the uh behind the play mm -hmm. like you don't think that stemmed from the coaching trying to fight the fans before a game you know and so you wonder why we go out in the first round and then he 
turns around and blames me for uh, <laughs> for being ousted in the first round. I'm like, I don't know what more I can do while you're sitting here trying to fight the fans, and we have guys, we have half our, we have six players that were supreme, amazing players, and three of them were suspended the whole series. Mm-hmm. And, and this is all from this. So it's like it was just one of those things that I, I was happy to. Uh, not be in the room anymore, and I'm happy to do these one-on-ones with people because I, I, I don't even. It's not even in my interest to ever go to the NHL as a goalie coach mm-hmm. or go back into a room and be on a coaching staff. Um, it, it's just not in me. It was never uh, a part of what I want to be. I've always uh, heard the mentality was if you pay attention with the fans, then soon you'll be sitting with them. I don't know if there's a phrase for fighting with the fans, but it doesn't seem to be having your focus uh, on the ice. Now, when you you were drafted by the Kings in the third round, and then you know you you were I think I'm counting here eight different teams through the ECHL and the AHL. Um, at, at what point did it kind of you know seem that uh, that the Kings? You know, maybe weren't as invested or focused in, in in you as as a goalie for them because you you know you ended up playing what eight six or seven years eight different teams and, and things like that. So, um, what happened after you were drafted by the Kings in in terms of uh, your your development and and how were they with you? Well, they were they were awesome with me. Um, uh, Dave Taylor, all of them were like amazing. Um, people with me uh andy murray like it they they were very high on me like we 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 had a good rapport um they understood who i was uh as a person too so things were really really good um with our relationship the issue went uh or started to to rise up when the la kings fired everybody including like their trainers so they fired mm-hmm. like their front office staff the trainers they fired absolutely everybody in the entire in the entire system mm-hmm. and that was right after my first year pro so in my first year pro oh they put me in Bakersfield, california where i had another awful like the worst coach that literally had to leave his job for all these anti-Semitic comments that he made to a kid a year later. Oh God. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the guy who, who was in charge of me. And, and this guy was the absolute worst, but he had a reputation as being good. Um, and so they put me in the ECHL, but what they did was they had this like plan for me to kind of develop through it. They never wanted to rush me. So right after that first year, um, I, I, <laughs> not to sound ungrateful, but I didn't sign the contract that I should have signed. My agent was new to this thing. He did a, he did a bad job with it, which was able to put me into a category where they, where they could put me into a lower league and not mm-hmm. really worry financially about me. And so when they put me uh, below the AHL to develop an ECHL, and then all of a sudden, everybody got fired from the NHL, and then this new regime comes in. Um, well, the new regime, I'm, I'm an old regime's guy, so they didn't really care too much about me. Uh, they are hoping that I would become something, things like that. Uh, there's a lot more detail to this that I can get into, yeah. but basically, um, long story short, my, I was showing up for training camp uh, the day before training camp started, and I got a phone call uh, from Lombardi and Lombardi's like where the F are you and I'm like oh I'm driving in 
and he hung hang, hung hung up the phone on me. Mm. And so I called back like five times. He doesn't pick up. And then his secretary picks up, and I'm like, "Hi." I'm like, "I'm trying to get a hold of him." He just called, said, "Where the f am I?" And then hung up on me. Uh, I'm confused. The training camp starts tomorrow, and I was driving in from Bakersfield, and he's like. And she's like, oh, well, it technically does start tomorrow, but uh, we had uh, fitness testing today. I'm like, well, why didn't anybody tell me that? You told me it starts tomorrow. And she said, well, it was written on the board because we technically can't tell anybody that it starts today. Oh, Because <laughs> it's against the NHLPA rules. And I was like, well, if you can't tell me, how was I supposed to have to know? <laughs> like, and so I, I show up there. So now I'm... I'm I'm docked as some sort of bad guy uh, who thinks he's better, like, than the rest of the team. And I'm like, no, not at all, you know? And then, so I have this issue uh, that I'm dealing with with a new team that doesn't even know me, so that's their first impression of me. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then they have this 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 report from this, this, this coach from Bakersfield who is, like, just a terrible kind of person mm -hmm. and uh, uh, who who gave some weird wacky report on me and so they have this whole thing and now all of a sudden I'm like I'm some I'm some guy who they don't want so that kept me after I played in the East Coast that kept me down in the East Coast the next year they traded me to LA uh, or to uh, Tampa uh, Tampa liked me I kind of had these back and forth weird things with the AHL because it's, it's just awful how it went. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an awful career. Basically, I made the team. I was doing really well and they just, the coach still refused to play me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it was a weird, it was weird. He even, even after the fifth loss in a row, the team went down 3 nothing in 10 minutes and instead of putting me in, he called the team over to the bench and said, uh, he, Ryan's not going in so you guys better start playing for basically this other guy who was the, who was their backup last year mm -hmm. and I was like what the? and so as soon as this, this other guy came back they sent me down to the minors again to the east coast mm -hmm. and so it kind of just everything kind of just didn't work in my favor and kind of kept me down yeah right but if you look at my stats even in the AHL I played for last place teams and had a 900 and had an mm -hmm. over 900 save percentage on last place teams that was better than every other goalie that played on that team that was better than any goaltender on every every one of those teams and those save percentages, it's always been the case. It just so happens that I ran into these this this ceiling that just refused to budge. And uh, but the best thing was is I went down to the East Coast and played for a coach named named Walby, and he was he was he was the first coach that I really wanted to play for. Yeah. I really enjoyed playing for him. He was so nice to me. Like he treated me with respect. Um, when I first got down there, he brought me into uh, the golf group because we were doing like a team golf day. And he brought me in because he heard these stories. He wanted to see who I was. And he told me about a year later. He's like, you know why I did that? He goes, because I heard all these stories and I had, and I didn't see anything that anybody said <laughs> about you. And I was like, yeah, no, man. I'm like, they're all. He's like, so he actively was in my corner to, to turn the tide on how people thought of me and that was really nice and that was when you were with uh, mississippi i yep. believe yeah you played yep. yeah that was the only stop in the that you had more than one year you were two years in mississippi that's because i re-signed there because i liked them yeah <laughs> <laughs> i actually liked playing for him it was fun for me i, I really enjoyed mississippi i yeah. really loved playing for walbs 
And uh, he made a good point. He said, you know, why are you going to just sign with a team when you can sign here, be the best goalie in the league again, and then you can go to any AHL team that needs a goalie? So hey, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So that's <laughs> so I did that and and came very very close that year with uh, Columbus. Yeah. Um, playing in their AHL league um, as their starter, but then they claimed somebody off waivers coming back over from Europe, and then that pushed me back mm -hmm. down again. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if I stuck with it, who knows? But it yeah. was just one of those things that I realized. I realized after I got hurt that I didn't love it. I didn't mm -hmm. love the game. I mm -hmm. didn't. Or sorry, I loved the game. I didn't love the room. I didn't love going and being with these guys and being on these bus trips. And I didn't like any of that stuff. And so when I started teaching the kids, I found my love and my passion. And I said, I'm done with this. Well, uh, let's, let's just give the, the travel itinerary for everybody who's listening out there. Um, Bakersfield, Reading, Johnstown, Norfolk, Mississippi, Syracuse, Charlotte, the thriving metropolis of Bossier, Shreveport, and then uh, a cup of coffee with the Dundas uh, Rail McCoys. It's it's quite the quite the travel America brochure. But here yeah, you that's not even that's not even going to teams that I yeah. I didn't play a game with. Like I went to Houston mm -hmm. for one, um, and then I went to Manchester for a bunch. So <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was not the uh, the easy ride. Well, let's, let's bring this full circle, because now, as I said, RyanMuntzGoaltending.com. I did notice that uh, your, your color scheme now is the same uh, color scheme as the Kings when they drafted you. I guess you love the old purple and silver, eh? Uh, yeah, I wanted to go back to, if people recognize me for something, they can yeah. recognize me for that at least. Uh, so I wanted to go for that. And it seems every goalie school out there has like a red, black, and yeah. white theme. Um, and I wanted to distinguish myself away from that, and nobody had like a purple scheme. And so I just, um, I think Rick Hines might have had it, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm not sure if they've gone away from it. But I wanted something extremely recognizable. Uh, so if somebody saw like the purple jersey, they're like, oh, that's a Ryan Munson school mm -hmm. there, and can be re recognized. Um, a couple of the people that you work with, uh, Nico Doss, of course, played for Team Canada. Uh, Christian Perbu is hopefully um, going to get an overage season in. Uh, Mikhail Kingo, I mean, he's the guy. F first of all, I mean, how special is this kid? He's <laughs> he's uh, awesome for for many, 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 and many facets of of <laughs> of yeah. being human. You know, like he's uh, he's a hard worker. He's a fantastic goaltender. Um. He's he's a he's a very kind-hearted kid that's gone through. You know, people would say, "Oh, you know, look where he is." He's gone through a lot of adversity himself. Yeah, and he he's a very talented goaltender. Even the adversity he's facing is he was drafted in the tenth round, like me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's actually a goalie that was drafted ahead of him, um, and he should have been much much higher. But you know, ha had an issue with uh, getting time playing uh, under a coach that, you know, screwed him over in the playoffs, to be mm -hmm. perfectly honest. You know, the team really wanted him in the net, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the coach just, I don't know, just had it in his head he wanted to go a certain way. Didn't work out. They lost in the finals. And uh, then he was looked at, instead of going to the OHL Cup and dominating there, which he would have, uh, he didn't get another shot, so he was considered a backup and really fell hard in the draft. And, you know, he's part of something called the Angel Project, started by his mom, um, Lizette. 
and it's about for support for those in complex care, which is a bit of a, you know, an homage to his mom who has had, you know, some health issues. And he's got the goalie equipment giveaway. I mean, this is the type of kid that you just root for because he's going to be just as special off the ice as he is on the ice. Yes, for sure. And then you have um, just um, Nico Dawes played for Team Canada. Uh, must have given you a, a, an element of pride. I mean, you played for Canada, the under-18s, and won gold. So you know what it's like to wear your country's colors. You must have been an element of pride watching uh, Nico compete at the world junior level. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I was with him for such a long time, uh, ever since he was a kid. Um, so to see him, you know, get himself in shape and to just take off like he did was, uh, was, was awesome, uh, to see him just transform himself and, and get that sort of hunger and drive to, to be something. And then Christian Perbu, um, the testimony he put on your website, he says, after a confusing minor midget year, and I guess the reason you probably get along well with him is you could probably really relate to some confusing times in minor midgets and the OHL. I had a chance to meet Christian. He was such a, a nice young man um, as well um, with my daughter. Um, it's going to be tough for him, you know, because this is his overage year and we're looking at a shortened season or no season at all. And I feel really bad for guys who are in his situation, whether they're goalies or not, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think that he was going to have a really, a really good year this year. I thought he was going to have a good breakthrough season mm -hmm. this year. Um, sometimes it takes to that overage over year. You see it all the time. And uh, uh, I'm just going to pray that something can happen, whether they bubble up up north or something mm -hmm. and, and just get a I don't know a 10 20 game season in in a few in a couple months like just extend it like whatever I just would love to see something happen okay just to wrap up here um, I am a goalie parent as you know I'm also a heart attack survivor what advice do you have for me as a goalie parent because goalie parents I also find are unique breed I don't like standing beside somebody watching a game even though my daughter's only nine years old do you have any advice for the hockey the goalie parents out there um, <laughs> don't take it so serious I mean honestly, <laughs> if you've been a goalie before you'll re you, you recognize things go in uh, it just be a just watch and be a supportive figure when they come up you know, if honestly, if they're getting too high, oh, you know, see me out there, you want to kind of knock them down and be like, hey, yes, I, like that's how it goes. You had an amazing game, but make sure that you're you're staying calm because the next game doesn't always doesn't always go the same way. You know, like is you got to start off at that same central point, and so when they come off and they're down, pick them up. Be like, hey, that's not how it is. The next game is going to be different, right? There's always another game. Just relax and. So just kind of like observing, watching, they don't need too much feedback, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They just need no. a, a moral support, somebody to kind of talk to and, and, uh, yeah. and bounce, you know, their issues off of. And that's, and that's ultimately what a goalie parent needs to do is just sit, watch, enjoy, you know, and uh, try not to get too involved with the goalie aspect of it all and just enjoy the, the team of scoring or not scoring and, and not um, dwelling on however how anything goes. I mean, just in the end, they, if they're going to make it, if they're going to go anywhere, they'll 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 do it. 
um, yeah. if you put them in the right situation and, and just worry about things that you can control. Well, I'm lu you're lucky. My, my daughter stopped listening to me a long time ago. She listens <laughs> to you, which is the good thing. And Ryan, thank you very much for doing this and, and especially for being really uh, candid and eloquent and articulate uh, with your answers. Uh, I really uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you again for having me. Okay. Ryan Muntz, ryanmuntzgoaltending.com. He's uh, one of the best ones out there, folks. He works with everybody at any age group, and everybody is better for the experience. We'll be back to wrap things up on Steve Clark's broadcast booth after this. Thank you once again for joining me on Steve Clark's uh, broadcast booth with my sp very special guest, uh, Ryan Muntz, who was very candid in telling his story as a goalie coming through the minor midget junior ranks into the professional ranks, being drafted by the NHL and what he does now, which is uh, runs his own goalie training school at ryanmuntzgoaltending.com is where you can find him if you want some outstanding mentorship. The conversation will continue with goalies next week and goalies who are also advocates. Brock McGillis will join me and uh, you sh should know the name Brock McGillis and uh, if you haven't then this is a great time to learn. The first male professional hockey player to openly come out as gay. Very influential in terms of being an advocate for the LGBTQ plus uh, community. He has spoken all over um, Canada, his story has been featured all across North America. He's in Everyday Hockey Heroes, the book, and you name it. And it's going to be really an outstanding and far-reaching conversation with Brock, who also has uh, quite a story to tell and a lot of things to communicate to all the young hockey players and young wannabe hockey players out there. Also, just to take a note, after Brock's interview, Steve Clark's broadcast booth will take a hiatus for a, a little while as uh, I can focus on a couple of other projects, including my full-time job, which is a secondary school teacher. But I will be back uh, with some new episodes, and I will be announcing when those new episodes uh, will be uh, coming up and will be released in the coming months. So next week, it's going to be Brock McGillis. Thanks again to Ryan Muntz, and thank you, the listeners, for discovering this podcast and checking it out. You've been listening to Steve Clark's Broadcast Booth.